It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. This is Forward Thinking. I'm Isabella Melking. What happens when we lose our sense of belonging? Interdisciplinary researcher Carrie Mitha thinks joining a club or getting involved in a community can be a great way to support our mental health and also help us feel part of something. Science communication student Tremaine Billum talks to Karim Mitha about his research into acculturation, Islamophobia and oppression. I'm Tremaine Billum and I'm here today with Karim Mitha who is going to talk to us about mental health. So your current research centres on the relationship between Islamophobia and the development of mental health disorders like depression. Is that right? That's very close, actually. So what I'm looking at is that relationship between acculturation. So there's literature suggests oftentimes first generation, second generation migrants, when they come to a new setting, they often encounter what's termed culture clash or culture shock. The whole process of getting used to a new environment, the different values, the way things work. So a lot of literature suggests that that process of acculturation can lead to depressive symptoms or mental health conditions. Where the literature fails is that it often considers that first-generation migrant. Now, if you consider the aspect of in the UK and in Scotland, we're about second, third-generation of migrant populations. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm looking at is that aspect of whether or not that acculturation still occurs in further generations. And so specifically, I'm looking at the relationship between identity and where that falls in that, that pathway between acculturation and depression. So Islamophobia is particularly salient for the Muslim population, obviously, particularly for second generations. You know, they've grown up in this setting. If you ask them where they were born, they say, well, I was born here, I'm from here. And then often the external image that's being portrayed on them is that they don't actually belong here. So when we consider that aspect of acculturation or acculturative stress and how can that impact on their sense of well-being and mental health, oftentimes, particularly in BME communities, people find a sense of belonging within their own localized networks. So whether it's like their faith community or whether it's that local congregation or maybe it's their whole ethnic identity. There's loads of literature which looks at ethnic identity as a protective factor in terms of clothing choice, in terms of the language use. So essentially, I'm looking at the relationship of identity that's on that pathway between acculturation, Islamophobia and depression. So could you clarify the term acculturation for us? Okay, so in terms of acculturation, that's often people use Barry's model of acculturation. And what that says is when a new community comes into a new context, they generally fit into four patterns. And these patterns are being integrated, assimilated, separated, or marginalized. And they basically mean different things. Now, that model has been criticized as to why is it a one-way process? Should it not be like a two-way acculturation? And essentially, when we talk about acculturative stress, that basically means in a generalized terms, whether or not if you move to a new context, you're often faced with differences of language, differences of the way things work, different values, the way people interact with each other. So you come within a certain framework to a new setting. And when that doesn't necessarily match with your own background, or when people see you as an other, how does that impact on yourself and the, the sort of the community that you grew up in. So people talk about being like, are we acculturated in terms of the music we listen to, in terms of what we eat, in terms of the, the TV programs that we watch, the languages that we speak in. So that's an aspect of acculturation. So this is all about a sense of belonging then. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how does this sense of belonging, this idea of belonging, impact our mental health? So there's quite a few research that talks about the way that people feel 
as part of a community. If you look at the, the basic aspects of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you see there's an aspect of belonging and self-actualization. So it's a part of being, as humans, we are a social species. We like to feel that we're part of something, that we belong somewhere, that we can ascribe identity to ourselves. So for example, I'm Kareem, I'm, you know, this and that and whatever labels you put and also labels that people place on themselves. When we talk about belonging, particularly for a migrant community, they come into a setting where it's very unfamiliar to them. So they look at what's comforting to them. So oftentimes that's in terms of food choices. You can see oftentimes there's many different types of restaurants that cater to particular ethnic diets. People like to feel that there's a sense of self in their behavior, there's a sense of self in what they choose, in sense of who they interact with. So there's quite a lot of work that relates to belonging in terms of people say that I, for example, especially for the Muslim communities, I'll say that I'm Muslim, this is who I am. And for them, being part of a Muslim community is so, sort of ascribing to something that's greater than themselves, so they're not just an individual. So oftentimes we talk about like the black community or the Chinese community or the Asian community. So it's basically something that is larger and is ascribing and interacting with people that you feel you have shared values and shared history and shared commonalities with. So is this likely to have a positive effect on your mental health? Mm -hmm. There's literature which suggests that being part of something and this aspect of belongingness and having value and having meaning. So the aspect of being part of something that's greater to yourself, so particularly amongst faith communities, if you feel you belong somewhere, you feel that you have people who, who you have things in common with and that makes you feel that you're not alone. So oftentimes people who have depression, they feel very isolated. They feel that they can't interact with someone, nobody understands them. By feeling that you are part of something that often gives you meaning and gives you purpose. And so that's an aspect of belonging. So what happens when we lose this sense of belonging? This is what my area is, this aspect of identity. So if you feel that you don't belong somewhere, then the question becomes, well, who are you? So I could ask you, well, who you are, and then where do you come from? And so you try to construct your own personal narrative and your own personal autobiography this is my background, this is where I grew up, this is my family, I live in this neighborhood. So you're ascribing different aspects to yourself. Now, when something is removed from that and someone says, wait, actually, no, you don't belong here. Actually, no, we don't consider you to be British, for example, then that causes what's an aspect of identity threat. So Glynis Breakwell has done quite a lot of work in this aspect of identity threat. So when you have someone saying that actually, no, they don't validate the assumptions you have about yourself, that can cause you to sort of reevaluate and say, well, this is what I thought about myself. Now, if they're saying, no, this has changed my whole self-concept, and this has changed who I think about myself and who I am as a person. So oftentimes people of who they think and who they feel they are are very inextricably linked. So if someone says, no, actually, you're not, of course you're going to reevaluate your entire self. Wait, I've been living like 20 years thinking this way, and now if all of a sudden someone's telling me, I don't belong here, then where do I belong? And that thing causes aspects of self-doubt and isolation. Okay, so you kind of have an internal identity crisis yeah. as a result. Especially for people who don't necessarily fit any mainstream. So I think the way I like to see my research is that it's very applicable to sort of any group, really. So you could, for example, you could be Jewish, you could be Chinese, you could be African-Caribbean, you could be like any different ethnicity or nationality. And this aspect of sort of fitting into a certain particular group. So when you look at like social identity and the idea of group membership and how that's very salient and how that's very very important to people. So would you say there's a more pronounced effect in people who've experienced Islamophobia mm. compared to people who've been rejected by other groups? 
I think what's interesting about, particularly for the population that I look at amongst the Muslim community, is that obviously we're aware in the last 10 years, 10, 15 years, there's been such an increase and heightened suspicion amongst people in their group. So oftentimes maybe they grew up, particularly first-generation migrants, they felt that, yeah, they were otherized, but they felt just integrate, just, you know, lose your cultural markers, just speak English, just try to belong. Now you have a second generation, a third generation that's grown up here, and to them this is their home. And when people say that, no, actually, you don't belong here. Where are you really from? That can cause people to question who they are. And if you compound this with an aspect of labeling other people, so for example, Muslims will often feel that they're labeled as terrorists. They've got the whole prevent strategy. They feel that they are dressed differently, look differently, have a very different aspect of belonging. That causes them to question, well, then if we don't fit outside, then maybe we need to turn insular and to find community amongst ourselves. So often there is a sense that our Muslim community is very insular. And could that be an internal process or could be as a response to something that's external? Wow, that's actually a really interesting point. So is this something that you have experienced yourself? I think because (laughs) this is a very interesting question, Jermaine. I think I would say personally, and I think this echoes a lot of my respondents as well, when you come from a place that's very ethnically diverse to Scotland, which is not very ethnically diverse. And I say that because the statistics show that it's about 96% white in Scotland and the BME population is very little. So happens then to feel that you don't necessarily look like everyone around you. I think that in terms of comments, where do we consider Islamophobia and what do we consider as discrimination? So for some people, they mean different things. So is it something blatant, like has someone called me a terrorist? Or did someone say, well, actually, you speak very good English. Where did you learn it from? So I think that's that could be an example of subtle discrimination. Or if someone says, like, or if they question your ability to like to speak or to write. And I think, yeah, there's an aspect also in Scotland that we want to perceive it as being very diverse and inclusive. Um, and oftentimes the respondents I have spoken to have said things like, well, we're probably a decade where behind London is. One day I wasn't wearing Asian dress and I was wearing something else and I was told you're dressed normally today. Now, what does that mean being dressed normally today? I think it's interesting also that when we look at sort of the research that's being produced, oftentimes there's an aspect of Orientalism. So oftentimes we like to exoticize another group that's different from ourselves. If you look at groups who've written about the Muslim community, they're predominantly by non-Muslims. So are the findings they have, are they an accurate depiction? Because I think when someone comes into a group, you want to present your best face. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, I would use the uh, analogy of when you have visitors over to your house, you make sure the flat is clean and then you make sure <laughs> someone is actually, you know, they yeah. don't see the mess, hide it in the closet. So that's oftentimes I would use that as analogy for social research. So if you okay. have someone coming in and saying that, oh, everything's fine, everything's integrated and, you know, that becomes a narrative. Whereas actually, you know, there are issues just like in any other group, but maybe take someone from within that community to actually tease it out a bit. I've got, for example, imams who I've spoken to, so faith leaders, and they've told me things like they feel very fearful. So they're often mindful of, you know, they've narrated where they've had reporters coming into the mosque and then say that they're a congregant or a worshipper. And then next thing they know, it's on Channel 4 and the the mosque is being seen by prevent strategy. So there is this fear that's taking place. If you're asking about like Islamophobia in that sense, so I would say there's aspects of subtle, blatant discrimination, also microaggressions. Mm -hmm. And microaggressions is a new literature which comes probably from America, but it has to do with the African-Caribbean population. And a lot of them would say things like, oh, well, again, it's about fitting to stereotypes. So the fact that, oh, you know, you can speak English or the fact that, you know, you integrate really well or, oh, are you forced to wear a hijab? 
for example,、mm-hmm. that a lot of respondents told me that they've been asked, they've been forced to do something that has actually been their choice. So a lot of assumptions are being made. And if you probe deeper, I think I've got a lot of respondents say that they do feel that their views are not valued. They're often spoken down to. Yeah, I think it's also a power dynamic that takes place. So, in terms of mental health,、mm. how can people who've experienced these things develop resilience to these kinds of common mental health disorders? Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought up that point because resilience is something that's being seen as very important these days. There's a lot of research that goes in this area of finding personal aspects that people can individually feel that they can. Respond to situations themselves. So one of the published works I've done talks about how faith community can actually be useful as a resilient strategy. So oftentimes people do things like we were speaking just beforehand about maybe doing some exercise or maybe getting involved in the community, volunteering. And I think this ties to the aspect of self-efficacy. Basically, if you're involved in a community, in any community, you feel that there's a role for you to play. And what does that do for your sense of self? You feel valued. You feel that your life has meaning. You feel that you have a sense of self-esteem, self-efficacy, and all these things. Basically, build upon your sense of self-worth as a person. So, if you imagine someone is as depressed and very lonely and isolated, now if you bring them into somewhere and say, "Hey, would you like to contribute to something?" All of a sudden, that makes someone feel that, "Oh, my opinion is being appreciated. So, I actually have some value as a person that they're asking me to contribute." So, I think this is an aspect where faith communities. They do things really well because they're engaged with getting people doing sports, youth events, getting people to do charity drives. I think this is something that people within closed, not closed communities as such, but people who have grown up within a close knit community, they're very used to getting everyone involved. And then you sort of notice, you say, "Hey, I haven't seen so and so the church in three weeks. What's going on?" So I think that is something that close knit communities do really well. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been Forward Thinking. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to know more about the topics discussed in this podcast, follow the links on the Forward Thinking blog at forwardthinking.ppls.ed.ac.uk. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes for more research news and views from philosophy, psychology, and language sciences here at the University of Edinburgh. Right. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is.、Yeah.